Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It gives us great joy for the opportunity to gather together, being the Lord's day where we worship you. Uh, we worship you every day, but especially today, gathered together and for this special occasion where we will baptize three souls into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the great work that you have done in the lives of these three and are continuing to do, not only in their lives, but in each of ours as well, to varying degrees. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that our worship this morning be in tune with your Holy Spirit, that you would inspire us. We pray, Lord, for your protection over our gathering, that there would be no disturbances from, without, from outside or from within, that our hearts and minds can be focused and not distracted, and that you can expound through this weak servant here, expound the truths that are in your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those that have special needs that could not gather with us this morning, have mercy upon each one, because we know that you are the God who heals, who restores, who makes alive, who gives hope and purpose. And as we now turn to your holy word, Lord, we pray that these things can be expounded to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to follow along with me in the reading in Ephesians chapter 2. That will be our main text, though there will be other scriptures that we'll be referring to. Um, and uh, as you're turning there, I'm going to give you something to think about uh, as we're reading the scripture. Um, <clears throat> take note in this passage, and you will find it, it's actually true throughout the whole scriptures, but it's particularly apparent in this passage that there are two themes that the writer uh, describes to us here. See if you notice these two contrasting themes. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And you hath he quickened, that means to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, that means conduct, in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, 
<coughs> created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's stop our reading here at verse 10. <clears throat> Did you notice the two themes? Uh, verse 1 introduces it very explicitly. <clears throat> and then the remaining verses <clears throat> expound on that. And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The one theme of death in trespasses and sins and the other theme of being made alive and indeed all of the scripture can be seen to describe these two themes that of death and of life of darkness and light disobedience and obedience ugliness and beauty illness and health and wholeness and wellness and these themes interact as we see that we experience these themes in our lives on a daily basis. I will refer to one as the minor theme, that's the theme of darkness, that should be minor in our lives, and the major theme, that of light and goodness and redemption, is the theme of God working, and that should be the major theme in our lives. It is indeed the major theme of the scriptures and why God has revealed himself to us through his word. And so as we would expound on the scriptures, I want you to ponder on your own life and how these two realities of the minor theme and the major theme in the scripture, where you are at in your personal experience with God in these two themes and how they are interacting with you. <clears throat> So the writer here describes this theme of darkness in the first few verses where he says, In time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's a description that's sort of describing the forces that are at work underneath these heavens, shall we say. Sort of in the air, the spiritual darkness that uh, influences your life. The spirit that works in the children of disobedience, a phrase describing people that are at odds with God, in disobedience with God. And this is true of the three converts. We heard their testimonies last night, and you're going to hear a short version of that this morning as they express that. And you will notice that these themes, the theme of darkness and light and despair and illness and depression and sin and, and rebellion and wrong, that they, they contended with that reality in their life. But God worked in them and transformed them into the theme, into the reality of light and darkness and redemption and goodness and wholeness and wellness and we'll see as you listen to their testimonies of how that worked in how God worked in their life and we'll see how the scriptures describe that but it's not only these three of course that are contending with those themes all of us are as he says in verse 3 among whom we all had our conversation so that's the things that we said, but also our conduct and our lifestyle, the things that we habitually did in times past, in the lust of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Notice this description here, children of disobedience, children of wrath, being at odds with God puts us in that place. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, there is uh, a further description of what this children of wrath means here. Uh, These things, talking about uh, the the theme of darkness and and sin and so forth in previous verses here, "Cometh cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He's combining those two phrases that he said earlier that we read this morning about the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. That is the state, that is the default state of each of us from birth. Ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden. As God created the world with the theme of good, with the major theme of beauty and splendor and communion and fellowship with God in the garden as he created Adam and Eve for that purpose. Yet the theme of darkness exists, came in the form of a snake, deceptive and deceived and tempted, and they rebelled, became children of disobedience, Adam and Eve. And so the whole world and all humanity after that, uh, we are born into this sin nature. And so there are some of you that are in this sin nature that what should be a minor theme in your life is still major because that is what is ruling your life. This is your description. Now, you might not recognize yourself in this description, and so I pray that you would because it is the goodness of God that reveals to you your sinful state. It's not a pretty picture, and it's not something that you want to hear or see about yourself, but it is the reality of all of those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Fulfilling the lusts of your flesh and the lusts of your mind, by nature, the children of wrath, the children subject to God's wrath because God is angry at sin as much as he is love, which we'll touch on in a moment, or we'll expound on in a moment, Um, but he is angry at sin. He's not neutral on this scale. And while he offers opportunity for salvation and invites you, and calls to you, he is not neutral there. While he gives you that choice, he desires you to be transformed into this major theme of light in goodness. And so I pray that you would, and that you would turn to God, recognizing yourself in this. Uh, Jesus taught about how that begins as he gives the parable of the two praying in the temple. And who was the one that was justified? It was the one that calls out to God, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is the beginning of the transformation between light (coughs) and darkness. Let's go to verse 4. That is a major pivotal turning point. Because if it were not for but God, we'll stop there for a moment, but God is such a significant turning point in this passage and in each one of our lives. Because if it were not for him, 
Every one of us would be stuck in this theme of darkness and destruction and sin and despair with no hope and no ability and no opportunity to be any different. But thankfully, God did not leave us there. And he did something. He says here, but God, and you will notice that in each of the converts' testimony, all of them had at least one or more but God moments in their life that brings them to that reality. And I'm sure that's also happening to everyone here as well. For us, uh, many of us, of course, who are uh, in Christ, we've had those moments of God reaching out to us and transforming us. And for those of you that are still with outside, uh, outside of Christ, I am sure this may not be the first but God moment in your life. If it is, I pray that it be relevant and meaningful to you as you would come face to face with this reality of your need for God and how he is reaching out to you. But for others, I'm sure you've had these moments before. And I would encourage you not to uh, resist them, not to harden your heart against them, uh, against him, but turn to him in faith, trusting him. But who is this God that this writer, the Apostle Paul, is describing here? But God, who is rich in mercy. He gives us two characteristics of God here. Rich in mercy. Notice this, this description. Mercy. Not just that he has mercy is one of his many characteristics, but he is rich in mercy and great in love wherewith he loved us. For that, let's take a look at the words of Jesus himself and how he described that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. How did he love the world? In this manner that he gave his only begotten son. His name is Jesus the Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that means being revealed that they are wrought in god did you notice in this passage the two contrasting themes that of the major theme and the minor theme as we see that when you recognize that interaction you'll see it everywhere in the scriptures god loved the world that means the people in the world. That means you. So much that Jesus has come to pay the price of your redemption. And so enters in another aspect of the major theme. That of redemption and reconciliation and healing of that which is broken. 
because all of us are in need of redemption. There isn't a single person that hasn't sinned. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so that includes you. There is no one that can transform themselves from the theme of darkness into the theme of light. Not possible. That's why God sent Jesus Christ and what he has done through his love and mercy. Even when we were dead in sins, hath made us al together alive, made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Ephesians chapter 2 describes these two themes from a particular perspective. There are some elements in this experience that he doesn't expound on that we'll look at other scriptures for. In the sense of how does this transformation happen? We see that God is the initiator, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. We can see that expounded on in, uh, I'm going to go to Romans um, chapter 5 and 6. We'll look at that a little bit. Uh, if you want to follow with me now, I'm in Romans chapter 5, looking at verse 8. But God commendeth, meaning he shows his love towards us in this, while we were yet sinners, while you were yet sinners, while you are yet still a sinner, Christ died for you, died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, there's that wrath word again, through him. What did God do in order to transform us? He sent Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, he gave his life and uh, was crucified on the cross. He shed his blood. Through his blood, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Of course, this calls for a response. And we can look at the major and minor themes in the scriptures also in terms of the God-human interaction. God is the major uh, character here in this narrative throughout the whole scriptures and in your life also. He makes choices and decisions and actions and his actions have far greater weight than yours do. But nevertheless, in the minor side of this equation, we also uh, are given opportunity and responsibility to respond to the call of the gospel, to respond to God working in your life. In comparison to God, it's relatively minor. But in comparison to the totality of your experience, your interaction with God is the major thing in your life. Consider carefully then, as the gospel invitation, as you hear that this morning, as the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The Apostle Paul writes about that earlier in uh, chapter, uh, in the Romans chapter 2. And so that you don't despise the riches and the goodness and the forbearance and his long-suffering, meaning his patience, 
That don't you know that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? And so there are many ways in which God reaches out to you. You will hear about some of those in the convert testimonies this morning. And maybe you identify some of those in yourselves. Various experiences, whether it's quiet moments in the loneliness, uh, uh, in the quietness of your room sometimes, or maybe it's in the midst of activity, uh, maybe it's some tragic experience, uh, that happened to yourself or happened to someone else that causes you to think about the reality of life. Whatever the case may be, God uses many different means by which to reach out to you because he desires a response to his call. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38 of how this group of people responded or how they were called to respond when they heard this meaning the preaching of the gospel they were pricked in their heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost very simple. Peter is describing here the response that is required. Repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ. What does that mean, to repent? Repent means to acknowledge your sin before God, to think differently about what sin is, to put on the mind of Christ in the sense to, to recognize that God's opinion of your sin is the correct opinion you will have a skewed and biased opinion about your sin, finding ways to justify it, comparing it to someone else. It's not, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm a good, upstanding citizen. Look at all the good things that I have done this past week and in my life. Surely that overshadows the, bad, the little bad things that I do. Those are false perspectives. That is a delusion. That is not the reality of your standing before God. Because as a sinner, he says, if you believe not, if you don't believe who Jesus is, if you don't believe what he says about you and your condition and your sin, he says, he that believeth not is condemned already. Because you don't believe in the only means by which God has given you for salvation. I encourage you to repent and believe and be as that man in the temple that stood before God in humility. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the beginning for you. Call unto him. He will show you what to do next. Counsel with those that are believers around you, with the teachers and the leaders of this church, other believers that the Lord will put and has put in your life as guides along the path. But most importantly, read the scriptures and talk to God directly. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. The first part of the verse, I missed out. But, but, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. We reach out to God in faith. And he that cometh to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 speaks about faith 
in verse 8. We're going to get back to some of these other verses uh, in, uh, soon, but uh, we'll skip to verse 8 in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Here he emphasizes this idea. Nobody can move themselves from one theme to the other. We cannot do it. We cannot overcome sin by ourselves. We cannot do anything good enough that will erase our sin, that will make us worthy and deserve forgiveness. Forgiveness, by definition, is something that we cannot pay for. It's a great price. That's why Jesus came to pay for it and to transform it, transform us. God offers this to us undeserved. We deserve death, not life. But we must have faith and believe in what he has said and what he declares. What does, uh, this morning, you will witness a baptism. Uh, Ephesians chapter two doesn't specifically speak about baptism. We're gonna look at that in, in uh, Romans chapter six. <clears throat> but before we touch on that, we'll look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith. This is how important faith is. Justified by faith. Justified means no longer condemned. That's the transformation from a state of condemnation to that of being justified. Therefore, being justified, meaning no longer condemned. Not uh, the, the punishment that was due has been set aside has been uh, reversed, erased, in a sense, born by Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. So the Apostle Paul describes some uh, terms here that we need to expound on. Uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. Even though God is gracious and mercy and forgiving, we should not have the view that therefore this gives us a license to continue in sin. He says, God forbid. How shall we? If we are dead to sin, we become dead to that minor theme in life through repentance and transformation that no longer the habitual habits and patterns and ways of thinking become dead. They get killed. And so, of course, we should no longer live in them. And this is precisely what baptism represents where he says here in verse 3, Know ye not? So many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we were baptized into his death. And therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so this is the experience of baptism, representing this reality uh, in our lives that of being transformed by the grace and mercy and power of God. The old man, shall we say, the old person, the old habits and natures, the old personalities, shall we say, um, are buried, never to be, that never to be resurrected again. But what is resurrected is a new person 
in Christ. But of course, in a sense, these three converts are already walking in newness of life. It's not only after today that they begin walking in newness of life, um, because of course we see fruit, uh, we see evidence of that transformation, and that's why we can proceed with baptism. If we wouldn't see that evidence, we would say you're not ready for baptism yet. But of course, this continuing of walking in newness of life is a growing process, uh, a growing experience. And we will look at that and how this uh, completely changes the picture then, shall we say, of what is major and minor in your life. Because up until, of course, that point of transformation, what should be minor, that of darkness and sin, is major because that's what defines your life. In a sense, that's what defines your identity as a sinner, as a child of disobedience, as a child of wrath, a child of despair, uh, destructive um, habits and patterns, uh, even bitterness and hatred, whatever kinds of things are negative and, and vices in this world, those are the kinds of identities that are in a person who has rejected Jesus Christ. But there is a transformation of identity in another scripture talks about that we're given a new name, new person. We are in Christ uh, through the power of his transformation of repentance and regeneration, of confessing our sins, of acknowledging uh, what is wrong and what needs healing and restoration and fixing in our lives. And uh, cooperating with his work of regeneration in our life, uh, that of resisting temptation, that of uh, growing in the disciplines of reading the scripture, of in prayer, of uh, fellowshipping with believers, attending uh, worship and Bible studies and accountability uh, and, and so forth. <coughs> All of these things are the means by which God works in our lives to bring about that transformation and ongoing uh, sanctification of growth uh, in him. And uh, let's uh, dwell on that a little bit more then as he speaks of this in, in uh, verse 10. Because of course, uh, sometimes um, you'll hear of this, we heard it uh, last night too of uh, some of the converts, that in a sense, um, a goal that they had at one point in their life was to get baptized. So in a sense, that maybe have re represented a finish line. And in one sense, it's a, a true statement, but it's not really the finish line because in another sense, it's a starting line of a new identity in Christ. The old is passed away, all things are become new. And uh, this describes then this in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Another word for that can be masterpiece. You think of that. You are a masterpiece that Jesus is working on in uh, refining, in improving, in cleansing, in growing, in making more beautiful, in making more functional, in making more powerful, more glorious, in representing himself as he uh, gives you and shapes you to reflect his character and his uh, nature created. So we are, you are his workmanship. 
You are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When someone is transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the entire relationship, as I had mentioned, between these two themes, that of the minor theme in the scripture and the major theme in the scripture, is changed. But the minor theme is not entirely erased in the sense that it's not disappeared. It is a theme that all of us still contend with. We are living in a fallen world. God has not taken us out of this world yet. And part of his transforming work is the manner in which we contend with this minor theme in the scriptures. Because the effects of sin are still all around us and in fact also still somewhat within us. It is not a theme that defines us. The major theme of being an identity in Christ, that is what defines us, but yet we still contend with the theme of darkness, the theme of temptation to sin, the theme of sinning and uh, disobeying God. You know, this theme here uh, in verse 1, who were dead in, no longer dead in sin, were alive to God, but dead to sin, but yet still contending with temptation and sin, and trespasses and sin. Numerous different words that describe the different types of sin uh, that can take place. Trespasses is when you go into a territory in which you don't belong, when you transgress a commandment, when God says to do something, or, to, or to, to not do something, thou shalt not. There's a number of those in the scripture. Uh, um, uh, lusting and stealing and, and lying and cheating and, and uh, bitterness and, and uh, sinning in your anger and being wrathful and so forth. Uncontrolled anger. Uh, all of those are trespasses and sins. Uh, this word sin uh, includes also this idea of missing the mark. Because God has intended, what does he say here in verse 10 here? Which good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he has things set out for you to do. Good works, virtuous things that you should walk in. This is the lifestyle that should define your life. And when you say, I can't do that, or I won't do that, or I'm too busy, or it's too hard, you're missing the mark. And that's a type of sin, sin of omission. And so in that sense, we are contending with the minor theme in your life. That's a struggle that goes on inside of you. It's not a struggle in which you are constantly defeated in like you were before. This is, the, this is where the major theme is victory in your life over these things. But not only is it that we're contending with sin, but there's also another aspect which I will call um, illness or brokenness or dysfunction. Related to sin, certainly there's a connection there to some degree. Um, it exists because of sin. We are in a fallen world. But we are in a body of flesh that has pain, that uh, we will suffer. And uh, we have uh, dysfunctions. Things don't always work right, not only in our physical body, but things don't always work right in our relationships, 
If you look at, for example, what is intended to be the most beautiful, intimate relationship that God has created, that of marriage, those that are in Christ certainly are equipped to have a beautiful, functioning, intimate marriage. But yet every one of us that is married knows that there is a gap between that ideal and the reality of where we are today. And so in that sense, we're contending with this minor theme in, in our lives. But God gives us the power and the healing and the ability, uh, the knowledge through the scriptures and the leading of his Holy Spirit in order to become sanctified and more and more transformed from what is minor, from what is dysfunctional, from what should not be to what should be in beauty and harmony and wonder, declaring the glory of God. And this is true in all of our relationships with the parent-child relationships, with sibling relationships, with friend relationships, with relationships in the church, uh, with how we function in the church, with how we function in society. In a sense, we can see that in every area of our life, somewhere we are contending and struggling with the minor theme in the scriptures, uh, the minor theme of life and how the scriptures describe it as what should be minor in our life but thanks be to God that when we trust in him and he holds on to us as we cling to him in faith and obedience may we trust in him may we suffer graciously and joyfully can you imagine that this theme of suffering is throughout the scriptures it's not a theme that we like to dwell on suffering for the sake of Christ uh, whether it's in overt persecution, whether it's in the form of more subtle oppression, whether it's just the suffering of the normal uh, issues of life uh, in the flesh or of the mind, of, of uh, physical ailments or mental illnesses, uh, fears and phobias and, uh, and so forth. All of these kinds of things, Jesus has come to provide hope and healing and meaning and purpose through these things and beyond these things, declaring the power of God. And so may each one of us, as we have pondered now, I hope you have done that, and in the coming hours and days that you would ponder on where you are at in these two themes, that of the minor theme in the scriptures or the major theme in the scriptures, of where your relationship is with Jesus Christ. And that you would, if you're in that place where your step one is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Take that step today, even at this moment. In your heart, call out to him, recognizing that you need his mercy. You need his forgiveness. You need his power to transform you because you probably tried to improve yourself and have had only mild success and likely even further setbacks at times. He is the only solution. And for the believer, for those of us who have walked with Jesus, perhaps a few years or for many years, we are at some point contending still with this theme of, uh, this minor theme of uh, darkness in some form. May we draw on the power of God in faith that we can be overcomers, that we can love in the face of hatred and uh, uh, indifference, but that, that we can love, that we can have mercy towards those 
that don't deserve mercy. That's the very definition of mercy, to extend mercy and grace to those who don't deserve it. That we can be bright reflectors of the gospel of Jesus Christ, faithful ambassadors of his nature and character and of his continuing work in each one of our lives. May the Lord richly bless this word to our hearts. Amen.